welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest today is James Chase, director at Chase Distillery and the chief potato officer. Hi, James. Welcome to the show. Hi, Simon. How are you doing? Good. I always like to start off the podcast by asking guests maybe to introduce themselves a little bit. Um, absolutely. So, um, well, thank you so much for, for having me on today. Um, my, my name is uh, James Chase, and um, yeah, that's my self-proclaimed um, potato peeling rights, but um, I'm part of a, of a family distillery based here in Herefordshire. So we are um, a field-to-bottle distillery producing um, vodkas and predominantly gin. And we, we've kind of almost started the craft spirit revolution uh, way back now in 2008. It seems a lifetime ago. Um, and, and I live in Herefordshire, which is, in, in my eyes, one of the most beautiful counties in, uh, in the world. It's, uh, it's absolutely stunning here. Couldn't agree more. And so tell, <coughs> us, tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you end up doing what you're doing today? Chase is, a, like I said before, it's a fam- family distillery, which I'm always immensely proud of. Um, I, I think family, family companies in their own right are, are quite few and far between in these times. Um, and we've, we've been distilling here since 2008. Um, so we've, we've come a long way. It feels like a lifetime, or it certainly feels like a lifetime, but it really is only, only 12 years ago. Um, and we've been farming in this county for over four generations. So we're really well-versed in, in growing and, and actually producing things from scratch, which, again, I think is something so so rare in a, in a globalized world where you know things can often get imported and, and turned around very quickly um so our family had been farming for for four generations and um it was really my father who had the the foresight to um uh, to turn what we were farming as a commodity um into an actual um product or something that we could um make a margin out of and something that ultimately we could survive as a, of as a family um Farmers are often depicted of, of living quite uh, generous lifestyles and having a great time, but, but often um, there's a lot of shortcomings and behind the, behind the scenes, it often can be very tough. And that was particularly relevant for our family in the 90s, where we were really up against it, um, really struggling to almost survive. And I think the first thing they always teach you at, um, at Harvard is, uh, is to survive in any business. And um, unfortunately, we weren't. We were treated as a middleman. Um, you know, farming, you're not really producing a brand, you're merely producing a commodity for, for the likes of me and you. And, and ultimately, you know, most people, all, all we have been guilty of in the UK is, is, is demanding um, supermarket products at a very uh, cheap price very quickly. So the long and the short of it, we diversified and we, um, uh, we actually uh, came up with a crisp brand called Tyrrell's Crisp, which is now a household name, which is great to see in 2001. And then in 2008, um, we had another great idea of um, using potatoes that were too small and too wonky um, to make the potato chips um, and built the UK's first craft distillery in 2008. And as I'm sure you can agree, Simon, there's been a flurry of, of gins and, and spirits that have come onto the market in the last few years. And that kind of takes us up to today where we're probably one of the leaders of um, independent distilling in the UK. Um, and then we export over 40 markets and our, our main family's interest is in, um, is, in, is in distilling and making alcohol from, from scratch. 
Um, so without going into too much detail, that's kind of, yeah, where we are at today. And uh, we are a family business and we're very um, embedded in that culture um, of family. So whilst it's me and dad are often, you know, at the helm of a company, we are a family um, business, which, which I love supporting and love getting behind. Out of interest, how do you measure success for your business and for yourself today? What is success to you? I think that's, a, that's a really good question. I think success for us is ultimately down to um, the people that we've, we've got around us. Um, you know, we, we always live, lead with our brand and often we call it packetizing and making the product um, speak for itself on the, on the shelf. But it's so important for us to have the right people around us and able to not only sell the brand, market the brand, but... Um, but, but, but sell the story and, and create the passion. You know, anything that you kind of buy into life has come with a great story or, or a great passion behind it. And um, yeah, you know, really simple answer to your question there is, um, you know, is, is making sure that the welfare and the, uh, the, the employees that we have around us are, um, are having a great time doing what they love. And, and for your, yourself, um, how do you measure success in, in a personal context? It really comes down to um, the people that I've got around us. And you know, I said earlier that we are, a, we are a family business. So for me personally, it's making sure that, you know, we've got the great, great people around me, not only in, in business, but, but my personal life as well, and making sure that, that they're happy, um, that they're content, and that I'm doing everything that I can do to make sure that they're excelling in whatever they're doing, you know, through listening, but also... Um, encouraging them to, you know, to go on and hopefully do do great things. And I think it's great having a brand to be able to do that. You know, it, it allows, say, people at, at working at Chase to, um, you know, to be part of a, a great journey and a, and a great, um, you know, a great journey for, for years to come, hopefully. I think for a lot of my listeners who dream of starting a business, I mean, it's, it's interesting, this concept of, of working with your family, um, I personally had mixed results working with my family. I'm quite different to my brothers and we've had our arguments because of business sometimes. But how has it been for you and how's the experience been for you? And, and anyone um, out there might be thinking of starting a business. Do you, do you, do you think it's a good thing or, or is it, does it make family life more complicated? Um, I'm not going to sit here and, and lie to you and say that it's all roses. You know, every day there's, there's been really tough times um, and there's been some, you know, euphoric highs, which 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 ultimately make it all worthwhile. But um, coming from a farming background, you know, there's been a lot of you know family arguments and, and and breakups that I've seen with other farmers that have, you know, potentially gone in and brothers or sisters have gone into work together and it hasn't quite worked. Um, but where the where the distillery is concerned, it, it, you know, if you look if you look at any other great vineyard or, or distillery in history they've predominantly been family run. And I think in, in the, in the distilleries business in isolation, because there are so many different elements, you know, to what we do as a company from farming, fermenting, right the way through to accounts, marketing and sales, there are so many different roles within the business. It, it's been able to allow me and dad to kind of, you know, definitely work together, but, but gain skill sets in other parts of the business. I think where you see a lot of bust ups happen is it tends to be, you know, very, very, very industry specific but um yeah you know it, it definitely has had its challenges um but our name is above the door and i think i think when we're working for a cause that's much bigger than ourselves um you know that's that that ultimately ultimately makes it all worthwhile um so my brother is working with me as well but he he's on the farming side of the business so because we kind of split up the roles um and do what we're best at 
Um, potatoes and him growing them <laughs> allows us to, um, you know, to, to work hopefully together quite well. I think that's actually a great insight there I want the audience to pick up on because I had a similar experience is that you can work with family. Sometimes you just need to give each other your own area of control and your own area of responsibility so you're not necessarily crossing over and, and causing conflict but complementing each other. I think that's, that's so focusing on your area. And then I love the point you just made about purpose, the bigger picture. So it's, it's bigger than, than all of you, which is, which is really interesting. And I've, I want to ask you this question in particular because you're, you're born clearly into an entrepreneurial family, but do you think entrepreneurs are born or bred? I was, I was thinking about that earlier, and it's, um, yeah, it's a huge question. And, um, you know, ultimately, um, you know, you always compare yourself to your community or the people that you've got around you. And I'm obviously very, very fortunate to... Um, uh, to grow up with with a role model like my father, who's very driven and very ambitious, um, but I, I do know you know some individuals that that haven't been born into um, entrepreneurial families, but they've ended up being an entrepreneur in themselves and taking that risk. But what my father really um, did instill within me was a was a great ability to work. And you know, when we were going through the nineties, our family were in huge tough times, and it. Um, it made all of us have that sense of getting up early and, and, and working as hard as we, we possibly could. So ultimately, I think, I think you, you can be born an entrepreneur, but I think through certain, certain circumstances, and I've probably categorised myself with this, I'm very lucky to have an entrepreneurial father. I've definitely been bred into you know, being, being an entrepreneur through, through that work ethic and through, um, through understanding that luck doesn't just fall on your lap, that you you know you have to be bloody minded and work work for it. Do you, um, do, you, do, do you think you always were going to be an entrepreneur? Was it always that you were going to work in the business, or was it really very much up for grabs? Who knew kind of scenario in your upbringing? I think, I think growing up um, and having businesses around me, I was always desperate to, to kind of get away from the family business to start with, and. Yeah, lots of different stories of always having a, a job or a side hustle when I was growing up, even from the age of 13, I had my own pigs that I was um, taking to slaughter and, um, um, and, and, and doing, doing a side hustle. And I think the older I've got, um, the more, you know, the more that me and dad have a great friendly com- competition. And I think that that competition of, you know, of, um, of rivalry, I think, is, is so important, although it's very friendly. Dad definitely drives me every day, and um, you know, um, you know, I can't can't believe his his work ethic really drives me and inspires me every every single day. It's, uh, it's warming my heart. I've got a three year old, and and I'm trying to figure out how to be a good parent. And if I can get to a point where my son's your age and says those nice things about me, I would say that's success. So it's wonderful to hear, James. Really. Um, yeah. and, and, I, and I know it's not easy. Um, talk, talk about your mum a bit. Does she, how does she play? Uh, how does it play out for you? Mum was very supportive. I think mum, 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 really looking back on it, she was very supportive of me playing, playing sport and um, getting away with it. I think, you know, building, you know, household brand growing up within, within Tyrrells, our, our family were under immense pressure. Um, and that, that was um, often diluted by my mum being able to, you know, go to play sport or, or encouraging, you know, us to take up other hobbies to take our mind away from it. And I think, that's like true intelligence where, um, you know, you, you, you can be immensely stressed and, and, and on, on competition, but the ability to take your mind off, off things and to focus on other things that, that will enable you to, to ultimately be stronger back in your job again. I think mum's, mum's really good at that. And often the, 
silent partner in the whole business. But um, yeah, she's very supportive of, of all of that growing up. And, um, you know, from a farming background herself, I think um, uh, long days and early mornings are, you know, are evident in, um, you know, in instilling that within us. I think it's yeah. uh, one of those things that underrated sometimes as a, a reason businesses succeed is your partner in life. If you, if you get the right partner in life, it's the foundation to everything. I don't know any entrepreneur that succeeded that didn't have support from their partner. Um, uh, you need that understanding of who they are. And I can imagine farming life. I mean, you said four generations. That, that's amazing. It's, it sounds like there was, there was two generations where they were farming and then the third generation, I'm assuming, was your father, right? And you're the fourth generation. So how Absolutely. You- Dad will say the story a bit differently, but um, you know, there's lots of farmers that go on to inherit you know, thousands of acres and... Um, uh, and you know, ultimately, you know, go into a great one. You know, Dad was um, Dad wasn't born into you know a huge farm. Almost had to buy the farm off Granddad and um, and work immensely hard for, for doing it. So it's um, yeah, I think I think you know, ultimately, we, we were farmers, but definitely not at the scale that you see um, you see these other ones. And 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 from that, you know, by generation, he's been able to um, to turn something around and and not just focus on you know, on the, on the farm itself, take inspiration and, and ultimately um, innovate um, and, do, and do different things. Yeah, I always say build a, build a brand, not a business, which is exactly what you guys have done and are doing, which is, is, is impressive. But I, I think it's interesting you say there, the history of family, I always find interesting to kind of bring you where you are today. Your, your father had to buy the farm from your grandfather. Maybe that also creates an element of appreciation, just another level. Sometimes if people are just given something, it's not, it's not as much fun frankly and then then if you've earned it right so that the whole concept so when's your father sending you the invoice for the uh, for the business <laughs> i think i think we're in different times now so. of course different times <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah no it's interesting though isn't it it's very interesting i'm sure that whole conversation with his um with his dad at the time your dad's dad was a pretty interesting conversation would have liked to be in a fly on the wall on that conversation you know it's uh, definitely yeah there's, there's that saying i heard the other day of like you know one one generation makes it the next maintains it and the the third one spends it, but I, I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by these these family companies that have lasted for generations, and um, you know, and, and ultimately it starts with that brand and that product first. But they've they've they've, they've made sure that their families, you know, were involved and, and they passed on the company for generations. I think that'd be my ultimate test whether you know we can make a legacy from this and we can we can keep keep something you know going and, and building trust in in the next generation. It's, it's it's the generation after you you have to worry about i mean i i have the um, i have I, I my three-year-old i mean i have this whole conversation with him he's, he's three years old but he out he outwits me all the time but he, he basically has this whole thing about like um i, I want to buy this daddy like a mr men book and i'm like he's like I, I, he doesn't have any money i'm like you don't have any money how, how are you going to buy it he's like well just get it from me daddy i'm like well why i don't really like mr men you know, we have this interesting discussion around just get me something, you know, versus um, how are you going to earn it? And, and it's only three. It's instant so gratification. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it's interesting, isn't it? How, how did your father bring you into the business? It sounds like initially you were competing with each other somewhat. And that was that was a good training to kind of see, um, you know, you, you, your, your entrepreneurial spirit was clearly there. But how did it just one day click into your working together? Did it just happen or did it happen naturally? I, I think so. I, I, you know, I, I was desperate to actually get away from from him, and um, you know, ended up ending up getting a job in job in London, and I was like desperate, desperate to um, you know to, to go from from there. But I think I always had this kind of 
burning in, in the back of my mind of, you know, not a weight on my shoulders, but a, a way that I need to go out into the world and learn something to, to be able to bring back into it. But, um, yeah, he's a very positive person. And I think, I think it's almost that American, you know, he's not American in the slightest, but it's that American nature of being positive um, and, and inspiring somebody. And I think I, t- I think I take huge inspiration from that. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously other things that, um, that you, you want to improve on, but he's definitely great at inspiring people and um, passing on that, um, on that kind of um, passion, you know, that makes you want to go and do it and do it again. And, and hopefully we'll talk a bit later about other things that, you know, I'm trying to do now in the company to take it, to take it forward and, and you know, um, companies can't stand still and that's where you know we've got to constantly innovate now especially in this world and, and progress um, our mission of, of doing things a lot quicker because it's amazing how quickly things are running now that's that is fascinating I, I love the point you make there as well about having to go away to to learn new things to bring it eventually back into the business which i think you no know, is is a really in, important point isn't it that's why i always tell young people to travel for example you know and, and see the world and you know i know i know you were inspired from your your travels in the us but maybe talk about how you are innovating your business today maybe talk about that a little bit now that would be that would be really interesting yeah ultimately the the spirits industry you know whilst it's huge in stature uh, is immensely competitive um, you've either got the, the big guys who, um, you know, have huge listings on the stock exchange and, and they're able to buy contracts. So Simon, you might have a wine bar and, um, you probably most likely would, would do a deal with one of the big guys to do all of the brands. So you'd buy a tequila, rum, whiskey, gin, vodka, all from the same house. And then you might use Chase on your back bar or, you know, some of your other boutique spirits, um, you know, to hand sell. And that's, that's our challenge at the moment is that we need to innovate um, in order to, you know, keep top frame of mind, but also to bring the bartender or the consumer something that's going to make their life better. And that's a really important point. I think brands do have a purpose now, not just to sell stuff or, or sell at discount, which I think we were very guilty of pre-coronavirus, is actually to make somebody's life better. Um, and that's so important for Chase because we are in, we are making alcohol. We are making something that, you know, could, um, could change your life for, for better or for worse. And we've got a social right to make, make sure that we're, we're releasing products that, um, that do things. And ultimately, our biggest innovation was in 2008 by, by making something from scratch. So, you know, a lot of these distilleries, um, it's not fake news, but, but they, they don't make it, you know, maybe as craft or as aligned as we could. And we took huge inspiration from craft distilleries in, say, Germany or Austria, where they are educating their consumers how spirits are made. And if you respect something, you never mistreat it. So our purpose has been all about um, educating consumers about field-to-bottle spirits. And now we're in a time where, um, especially you know, through the last couple of months, uh, we want people to drink less but better. And the, and the stats are coming through now that actually through lockdown, people have actually been drinking less, but they've been drinking more premium because they haven't been spending a lot of money in, in the bars and restaurants. Um, so for us, that education continues, but it also continues in, in, in how the serve and how the drinks are. So we're, we're really kind of looking at, um, look, looking at different mixes and we're really on the front now of, of championing our spirits to be mixed with soda water. So, you know, tonic water has a huge amount of sugar in it. 
Um, and we, we're kind of on a quest now to, you know, to make sure that people are drinking less sugar, um, potentially less alcohol, but drinking it in a way that, um, that, that works for them. You know, drinking trends, trends have massively changed. And I heard a stat the other day that one in four adults now don't drink at all. So you've got to be alive to these stats and um, working for a, an almost a completely new um, sector of consumer, these early 20-year-olds who are on social media prolifically and they're almost not drinking at all because they don't want to be seen, um, you know, maybe in a, in a bad way or something. So that, that's definitely our innovation. We've got to keep alive to that. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how the next few years years pan out. Yeah. I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a fascinating time to be alive and in business. It's, it's so much opportunity, but equally so much threat, right? I guess there's, there's just so many people pushing so many things that sometimes yeah. it's a bit like how you win elections now. It feels like you just you know, have a good social media campaign and, and you, you can become the president. So. A popularity <laughs> contest. Yeah, as, as opposed to like best product wins. Um, it, it does feel like best marketed product wins. Does, does it feel yeah. like that sometimes? definitely there's the frustration and you know if you look at gin you know which is our 85 percent of our business um it's got immense low barriers to entry so you know you guys at the podcast could create your own gin tomorrow you'd create a great social media account you would phone up a contract distiller and you could have your brand to market within two weeks and ultimately through instagram you know there's no one regulating you to what news that you put out and yes we've seen that through trump and brexit but you're seeing it with brands now and we're living in this age where over the last eight years or 10 years the amount of brands that have entered the market have been phenomenal whereas when you know dad always says the story of setting up tyrols there's a, a book of the yellow pages and you had to get on the phone to to look at things now you can go on youtube and figure out how to distill within half an hour you can, you know, you can phone up a packaging warehouse and have a your, your new bottle, the Squibs gin being released next month. So, look, it's so easy to do things, and um, that is that is the worry. And um, you know, at Chase, we've got to constantly look at how we can go into areas where it's maybe a, a bit harder to enter. And whiskey is definitely an area where there's a big barrier to entry, and it's something that you know, hopefully, that we're looking forward to in the future. And maybe my, my kids will, will, will take inspiration from because whiskey takes um, a good few years to build up inventory and, and stock. You give me an idea for Lucky Gin there. I like it. <laughs> You're a bit late. Yeah, we're a bit late. Oh, well, that's the interesting thing about any, everything's already been done. That's the only thing. I mean, like big like social media, I'm sure when, uh, when Facebook was started, they were like, well, MySpace, it's already done. You know, you were a bit late. And, and frankly, even podcasts. I mean, we're podcast 751,407. Maybe we're late, maybe we're not. You know, I guess it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? It's an interesting point, isn't it? Is, it, is what, what's late and what's not? It's interesting. Well, I think, oh, go ahead, please, go ahead. Yeah, I think if you... Um, that's a great point for, for, for a lot of your listeners as well. Is like, no matter how good, you know, there's always this story that we talk about. We were trying to launch our brand in America. Um, we brought in a bottle of Chase and this, this, we were like, you know, it's like looking at your baby. You think it's the most prettiest baby in the world. And we brought it into this room and this distributor came up and he said, look, you're, you know, you may think you've got the most beautiful baby in the world, but, but so do all of these other thousand other creators. Um, to me, it's just another screaming baby on a, on a plane. And, it, you know, it, I think, I think in, in life, you've, you've, got, you've got to be early on in a trend. And, you know, we, we had the foresight to get in early in 2008. And whilst we think we've got a great brand and product, timing is, is definitely so, so important. And that would be one of the biggest lessons, I think, that we've known at Chase. Well, 
actually on the subject of of, of building a, a a brand not a business i i'm i'm personally i don't drink alcohol actually i at 15 years old i had one drink of gin ironically um and and from that moment onwards the next day i said to myself i'm never going to drink again and i didn't ever drink again um luckily i've got i've got a wife who likes to drink so she makes up for what i what i don't consume to keep the uh, market buoyant but um but i am a big fan of crisps and so I'm, I'm a big fan of, of your, uh, your family crisps. I'm interested in how that got tipping point. When, was, it, was it suddenly famous or, or was it a gradual process? And, and, and the same, I guess, for the distillery business. How did it, how did it play out? Yeah, I think Tyrrell's was um, you know, definitely, um, definitely first, first mover advantage. Um, I think there was Kettle Chips, the only uh, large crisp company at the time. Um, and uh, I think there was... Um, there was an amazing point where um, there was a there was a Tesco story that came out, and um, we love Tesco's today. We, we trade with them, and we work really well with them. And there, there was a story uh, where they, where they wanted to just take on a quite a few ranges of a crisp. And my dad said at the moment the business isn't ready, so he politely declined for the listing into Tesco's. And I think it was the same time that um, David Beckham was moving to LA Galaxy, so the press got a hold of this. And I think to date, Dad is one of the only food producers to, to deny listing in Tesco's at the time, which was which was you know huge news. And I think um, it's not that he hated Tesco's or, or had a grievance to them. That you know, in my opinion, I think one of one of the best supermarkets run in the world, and um, we've 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 had a huge history as a family with them. But it was just a point for Dad being a farmer and sticking up for his morals, where he was so supportive of the independent customer, and we we talked a bit offline about a, a your local um, independent store. And I think my family are huge supporters of the independent that, you know, in this day and age, there'll always be an Amazon, there'll always be a supermarket that can use economies of scale, you know, and get whatever you want as cheap as possible. But the independent, you know, they're up at night, they're doing the accounts on their kitchen table. They're doing it because they, they love that business and they want to talk about the brands that they stock. So if you go for a meeting or a sell-in with a bar at an independent, they'll want to talk about the taste, the flavour, and they'll really get into it. Whereas often, I think, you know, we live in a time now where those bigger buyers are probably a bit more obsessed with price, promotion, and, and how big are you going to support on that? And yeah, ultimately, we need both in our society. But I think a silver lining of, of coronavirus, I don't want to mention it too much, is the rise of the independent again, and that they are championing, um, you know, seasonal artisanal brands. But, but just getting back on track, so I think that was a big pivotal moment, and um, I think we got a lot of press from that. But the brand grew, and I think it was always on its way to stardom. There was great innovation with the vegetable chips. Um, a lot of the girls in London thought that there were there were less calories than the potato chips. It's completely rubbish, but um, but yeah, it was great innovation. I think a great name and a great story. Nobody has the cookie cutter, the secret formula. Um, you know, to, to say why it was that, but it, but it was yeah, it was, it was, it was a great, um, a great meteoric rise, and I think the tipping point was definitely you know that that that, that press and PR, um, and then then with Chase, I think um, there's been quite a few occasions where um, you know we've we've had our tipping point. Um, you know, for, for me, um, we won the award originally for the world's best tasting vodka in San Francisco which is like the Oscars of the spirits world. And in 2010, I remember I was doing a tasting in Jerry's in Soho, which for me is the best wine shop. If any of your listeners are in Soho in London, pop in there. It's um, 
Alan and the team then do a great job. And I was doing a tabletop tasting, liquid on lips, as we like to call it. And, uh, and a builder came in with a copy of The Sun. And Dad was on page four, um, going, the English beat the Russians and the Polish at their own game. And, um, and we got great press coverage from that. And there's been a lot of, you know, different rises from them, you know, our gin, you know, um, getting on BBC News. And, you know, we've, we've had some lovely press and stories, but there are always these moments where we get worldwide or national coverage and you really really kind of see the bar go to the next level and i think um you know it's been it's been it's been great to, to, to be at the forefront of those times and for our team here to be you know in that moment moment together it's fascinating yeah. another thing i want to pick up for my audience there is, is if you're when when you're saying no to 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 certain opportunities as an entrepreneur that's actually really hard i, I just imagine that conversation for your father you know that opportunity <laughs> is so huge but to say no in a way is also what brings you success right that that's a really interesting nuance to it oh definitely and um look dad uh, will give you 50 ideas within the first 10 minutes of meeting him i just had a call earlier um, about looking into growing blueberries on the farm you know great margins they grow well and um, full of antioxidants and it's these opportunities that you've got to look at and have a sounding board of and, and you're right i think um it, it is hard to say no but you'll often find the best entrepreneurs or the best business leaders um, have a great ability to say no. And it's often that there's this pretext that, you know, entrepreneurs say, you know, yes to everything. But, but I think um, actually the, some of the best guys out there will, will take the calculated risks of doing the right thing. And they take those risks because they understand the audience that they're going into. So, you know, blueberries, will that be a great result for us? Do we know exactly what we're getting into? Um, you know, but ultimately without risk, there's no reward. And, you know, that's the billion dollar question, isn't it? Where you, um, where you, where you end up taking it, but it, yeah, it is hard. It is hard saying no. And especially for a brand like Chase, where we are 30 pounds, 35 pounds a bottle on retail, we are a, a super premium brand. Um, we've got to, we've got to, you know, look at all the opportunities to make sure that we uphold that price point because, our way of distilling is so meticulous it you know it's very expensive and um we've got to make sure that we we never undercut ourselves or end up in the places where you know a five-star bartender you know might not want to get behind the brand because it's suddenly in you know the wrong the wrong hands or the right people so it's really interesting and like i said to you before there's no cookie cutter way of doing things it's a constant review and judging and, and involving the team and involving other people in this decision it's uh it's interesting the culture of of in, i i lived in hong kong for 20 years and every time we ever do a deal in hong kong the people want to sit down and have a a, a drink with you and so I, I remember i lost this deal once because i don't drink <laughs> and that i wouldn't i wouldn't uh i wouldn't take a shot with the person that wanted to give me business and so there's a real culture around it but you mentioned earlier you you're, you're pushing you pushed into the us or you, you you are you distributing it now i'm assuming and and what about china for example what's your view on markets like that so, yeah, America is ultimately, you know, you've got to be playing in that market to do it. It's very saturated. Um, and all, you know, I know I moved out there last year to, to push our sales and the USA is our biggest market. There are moments in, in the mornings where I wake up and did I regret that decision of going to America? Um, you know, you look at the Asian market and, and how it is developing. And yes, there's been upheaval in Hong Kong and um um, and everything else, but it is, you know, it is a, a market that you simply can't ignore. You've witnessed it firsthand, um, 
you know, there's there's some statistics out there like like China, you know, 95, between 95 and 98% of all of their spirits are domestically made. So um, it's a it's a it's a category called baiju, which is actually um, there's certain brands of baiju that are actually bigger than Diageo, you know, as a company. And we've never heard of these brands. So whilst the market seems huge, culturally they are so different from us. And that kind of five to three percent of the market that's left, most of that is Scotch whiskey. You know, Johnny Walker really taking up market share, and then it filters down. So, so in terms of America, you know, where it is a huge prize for gin and vodka, and especially British gin because it's so good. Um, Asia, definitely huge potential, but the actual trend for drinking gin and vodka is is so small. But places like Hong Kong certainly making it more appealing but again you know you're seeing great barriers to entry and we've got a great family run distributor down in in hong kong called jepson's um something like third third or fourth generation um you'll love this they were one of the first guys to bring in the porsche cars into hong kong and a dutch family they then started to import everything and they built up a super premium wine and spirit following and um yeah, it's been interesting to work with them, but, you know, it is very small. The amount of bars or volume that you can do in the Asian market uh, is, is small. But, hey, who knows, in 10 years' time, um, we could look back at this podcast and say, you know, you should have been there. You should have been working it harder, but limited resource, and we can only do so much. I know um, 10,000 of my listeners are in Hong Kong, so uh, please go out and buy the product. Uh, and and increase uh, Jebson's profit everyone in Hong Kong knows Jebson's by the way yeah their their history is amazing and they 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 started small and grown into this amazing company so you've got a good distributor there and yeah it's it's fascinating to hear that I mean it sounds like you have got the product out in lots of markets again thinking about my listeners that that have businesses that want to expand what what what's your strategy on expansion is it find the right partner then expand or is it what you just described I think with market share opportunities I have this um, conversation with, with Dad quite a lot and, and the rest of the guys that, um, you know, there is this almost need, you know, you open up LinkedIn in the morning and you suddenly you've got a, a, a feed of somebody from India, somebody from Germany. It's, we are a globalised world and there's this absolute temptation to be everywhere. Um, and, and definitely it's helped chase out getting into these markets earlier, places like Italy, Germany and Spain, if we'd have tried to get in with the same distributor today, it would be almost impossible because I get these stories of all the time of these of our distributors, their office desks are full of people sending them gin bottles every day. They're absolutely saturated. So definitely it was great to get in early, but, but ultimately I think any advice on that is make sure that you're absolutely rocking in your home market first. Because if you've got no presence in your home market, I think it's very hard to articulate that around the world. And whilst you might be lucky and get some different wins, I'd always give the advice and make sure that you, you, you 100% got, got every kind of four corners of your own market covered and then, you know, and then look a bit further afield. That's good advice. It's definitely interesting thinking about um, expansion generally. I mean, today, what, what's your expansion plan? Is it, how do you see things scaling further? So, yeah, we're, we're at that very um, you know, interesting crossroads where we've got to um, understand the, the, the market share that we can get to. And, and a lot of people will tell you that the UK market for gin is, is saturated. So, so we need innovation in, and that's going to be incredibly important for the future of our company. So for the last 12 years, we've pioneered 
feel to bottled vodka and gin. Um, we, we've been laying down an awful lot of whiskey now, and we think that that hopefully is going to be the, you know, maybe the, the next lifeline for, for our business. Um, and, and we've got to make sure that what we're doing, we're still making a, you know, a margin to be able to attract and invest. And we are a long-term business and a lot of short-term business owners wouldn't even think twice about sustainability measures. So on the farm here, I'm sat on the farm here in Herefordshire, we've invested an awful lot in, in biomass boilers, which for those of you who don't know, and, and, and I'm certainly very new to it as well, that burn up um, wood and convert that wood chip into energy or heat. And that heat then powers all of our stills. Um, you know, that, that, that amount of money that we spend on those biomass boilers, it's not going to flow back into our profit and loss straight away. Absolutely not. But what it will do is, is give us, you know, the green credentials that people will know that when they're drinking Chase, they're drinking something that is less reliant on fossil fuels. And over the next five years, we want to be net zero on carbon emissions. But... Um, yeah, but but it's it's our kind of constant um, foresight to make sure that you know that we're that we're innovating into that area and not and not and not trying to be you know ruling the world as such. So some very interesting decisions will, will have to take place, and um, and in, in the new world that we live in, it'll um, it'll make things absolutely harder for sure. I guess it's also a large part of it is about sustainability, isn't it? So. That's it. Uh, one of my, fa- I, I go to New Zealand for a fair bit, and when we arrive in New Zealand, there's a there's a strawberry field that you basically go to, and they make you strawberry ice cream instantly there. We always stop um, when we get to the airport after you know, on the way home. We always stop there, and um, it's always interesting talking to the owners because you know, like I always say, you can put this in a box and sell this worldwide, and they're like, there's not enough strawberries to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and they've got uh, queues around the block for people just queuing up for the ice cream alone. So. And that's location as well. Nothing will take, you know, away from that journey that you've got to get to that, you know, those strawberries. And much like for Chase, tourism is going to be a really big part of our future here. And we had about 10,000 visitors to the farm last year, which most of your viewers probably won't know where Herefordshire is. Um, But over the next 20 years, we want to make tourism here amazing. And they they come to you, um, to us, like the same emotion that you went to New Zealand to get those strawberries, that you come to this farm and you you see something firsthand. You see actually where it's been grown and made. And as a farmer, I think that's so important for us to, to continue. I, I completely agree. And I know um, every single Londoner I speak to right now is talking about either buying a house in the country or going to the country. So uh, yeah. people are about to... Uh, descend on you in, in, in large numbers. And in, in pieces like uh, San, Franc- well, San Francisco and, and California in particular, um, there, there, there's a huge culture around going to a vineyard, for example, and spending the day, right? So it absolutely makes sense that that's a, that's a big part of your, of your future, especially domestically. I can, I can see it. As well as farms, for that matter. I mean, I'm a big fan of Dalesford farms and, and, yeah. and brand, brands like that again for my listeners overseas these are, these are well respected um, family run farms that have reinvented themselves right so um, it's, it's de- definitely interesting do, do you think um, just looking at your history as a, as a business do you think luck has played a role we are the good luck club podcast so sometimes we have to talk about luck but do, how do you feel about luck is it is it, is it something that's uh, played a part in, in your life and your business yeah no, I think for, fortunate to me I was, I was incredibly lucky to um you know, to grow up in the in the house that I did, and you know, whilst we've had very tough times, um, we've 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 been born into you know great prosperity, and I'll always be immensely lucky for that. Um, but but do you, you know it's that added question of do, do you create your own luck? And um, 
and ultimately going back to the farming side of things i think it's the ultimate hard work that's 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 when i look back at the lucky moments that we've had with chase or my personal life or or with um you know with tyrrells is the fact that we you know we've we've worked very hard at that and we've been alive um you know live to all the changes that are forthcoming and because we've been there because we've been in the deal or in the moment we've we've been you know we've been included in this in the discussion and not missing out on the deal um uh, which is yeah which is it's very fortunate but yeah definitely that hard work and i think farmers up and down the country you know the big silver lining now is there's this newfound respect for farmers and and they put in a lot of hours and um you know it's uh, it's great to see that come true yeah, I mean, I've noticed a theme in all the things that you've mentioned today about, you know, from uh, making the bartender's life better, supporting independent businesses, caring about your team as your kind of measure of success. That that That's a really unique selling point you have there because I think so often um, people get sidetracked with making money or, 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 or build, building, you know, a client base, but actually looking after your people. You've got a great differential there, if you ask me. Um, I'm interested in your education uh, personally, James, and how, how it yeah. affected you. And, and do you think education is, is, is helping entrepreneurs or do you think it's hindering them? education in terms of your your schooling exactly uh yeah def- definitely i was um i was talking to somebody about this last week and i and i we kind of got to the conclusion i got to the conclusion um you know i think that you could go to any school um in the world um be that you know a, a comprehensive or or say the upper echelons of say someone like eton and, and this is very topical at the moment with everything that's going on but I think if you've got a, a great year around you and great people that give you great drive and, and give, give you great confidence, confidence is very important. I think, I think that's so important. So I, you know, I fully appreciate, you know, there's, there's definitely different standards of schooling up and down the country. But for me, it's all about, um, you know, the, the, the year that you had or, or the people that you had around you. So for me, um, yeah, very, very tough growing up in the nineties and, um, um, and I, I went to a lo- local school in Hereford um, and I had some great, um, uh, great local uh, farmers and farmers' sons and different people. And then for, for my level, I actually, um, I went to a, um, a boarding school in, in Cheltenham for my last years, which was, um, which was fantastic. And it was actually one of my kind of first things that I got away from, from Herefordshire a bit. And I was, it was incredibly generous. And that's why I'm, then started to see a, a group of individuals around me that, that came from completely different backgrounds um, around, around the world. Obviously, being a being a public school, it was um, you know it was private education. So I think um, um, I was very fortunate in all, then all the abilities and, and studies that I had. And then um, and then leaving school, um, I was I was again whether you could say this lucky or, or unlucky. Um, I was probably one of only two or three people in my whole year that then didn't decide to go to university. I think I grew up um, uh, in, a, in a family that um, you know probably weren't so keen for me to to go off and get a um, you know professional degree. And whether I have a regret in not going to university, you'll, you'll always have that question. I think you'll always regret something to, um, if, you, if you didn't go and do it. And in the same life, you should never have any regrets. But I was desperate to. Um, to escape to London and to go and get a job and I ended up um, basically in, you know, a state agency in, uh, in London and doing commercial property, um, which, which I learned a lot. And um, I was great that, you know, I just wanted to, to get working or get into a society. And um, it was a time that, um, you know, that there was a, a recession going on and there was lots of um, components to that. Would, would I send my kids to university? I am. Um, 
look, I don't, I don't know, and I think we're going to be in very different times soon. But all I did know that, um, you know, from my education experience, that I had a lot of individuals around me that are still very close friends. Um, a couple actually work in in Chase now, and um, um, and and I'm very very lucky to have met those individuals. And I think um, if you get anybody like that, one, two, or three people that you've met through education, you know, keep a hold of them because um, they'll always be inspiring throughout life. I think that's such a wonderful takeaway and, and so true. I think in, in any school in system can be bad, but if the people around you are good, they can make all the difference. I think that's true in business too. A bit like the philosophy you've got within all your business elements, you know, have the good people, have the right people around and, and look after them. I also just want to highlight anybody out there that, that bullies, for example, you should be careful who you bully because one day they could be your boss. <laughs> so, so um, you know, don't bully. But, uh, but equally, you know, it's, it's fascinating that you know you you build a friendship, a relationship with these people, uh, and then they end up working with you in the business, which is which is amazing. I think. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it is. It is a fascinating time, as you say as well. I think education uh, is, is is changing anyway. But it's it, it is for me. I, I worry about university in particular and the debt that people build up because I worry it doesn't. Unless you're going to become a doctor and you you know you need a certain education to do those things. Um, entrepreneurship gets stifled. I know quite a few people that should be entrepreneurs were kind of forced to go into university, got into debt, and now they have to get a job to to pay pay it off. It's, it's amazing that you weren't pressured into um, into going to university or any of those things. You were given the freedom. Was that how it was, or did your parents want you to go? I don't know. I think they're probably in a in a friendship group at the time, you know, with lots of other farmers, and and there was probably no pressure on them, you know. Whereas I've got other friends that probably looking back on it now probably regret those three four years at university and and that debt that they have. But I think they were probably in a sense pressured from their parents because their other you know sons and daughters of their friendship group might have um, might have put them through. You know, I, I also then look at companies and what companies are doing to give apprenticeships and um you know and to degrees to different people you know it's, it's a great networking occasion um going to university i've just finished reading um what it takes by is it stephen schwab from um, blackstone um and it's, it, it was amazing you know he, he looked at all of his moments within his life but he he really kind of highlighted that you know that he did meet a lot of great contacts at yale um, and you know, I would, yeah, I think I think that's a, a, another kind of element to the argument is that he, he genetically had an amazing mind, got into Yale, and, and from there, then met some even more amazing people to go on to do what he's done. You know, we're not in here to, to talk about comparisons, but um, but but yeah, I think I was um, very lucky in that sense not to have those parents that push me. But but there is some days I probably wake up and say, well, I wish I had the the minds who have gone to university and, and, and had those four years to, to study about things that might not be that relevant in today's world, but um, but certainly find interesting and to meet, meet late relationships that would potentially last a lifetime. And those business, we're on a business podcast, those um, business universities, gosh, you would, um, you know, especially the Harvard, the Yale, Stanford's, you'd meet, you'd meet some interesting people, you know, going to those and, and then leapfrogging into into life with with those contacts is um you know certainly amazing absolutely yeah i know i know exactly what you mean i've got a, a friend who went to harvard that's all i need i didn't need to go to harvard <laughs> myself it's like I, yeah. I i don't i don't need to own a boat i just need a friend who owns a boat 
you know and uh, it's yeah. not worth four years necessarily to make those contacts but and, and sometimes in those ecosystems you can also have disagreements with people which can also cause you problems later down the line right but definitely network and it sounds like you you, you i had a similar experience where you, you it doesn't matter what you go and do frankly if you're a decent person you'll make friends you'll make connections and then and then of course that can turn into business success equally i think anyone out there starting a business my my advice is always like you can go build a network from scratch like i started a creative agency and i just said this is what i'm selling and i'll go tell people what i do i don't need to know someone at harvard that knows someone at that company to necessarily get that business i can just go and say this is what i'm doing and if it's the best product available they will buy it <laughs> so yeah. you, know, you can you can build the network from scratch right it's uh, it's but it's definitely an interesting area. We, we should, we, you and I, should, I'd love to have a whole discussion on it another time. And, and but I appreciate you taking the time out today to share, this, share with us your story, share with us how um, how you're doing it and your culture and your business. And, and I just want to close with just asking this final question: If you went back to the younger you and gave some advice, what would it be? If I went back to the uh, to the younger to the younger me, I would um, I would make sure that. And I learned this a bit from my time in, in America. Um, is is speak to as many people as you as you can. And, and yes, people might have a bad day or or be on a good day. But often, and that's a great thing that I love with Americans is they they will just talk to anybody, whether you're in the gym getting dressed or you're on the train or you're somewhere else. There's this American attitude of just speaking to people. And I think us Brits sometimes can be quite insular. I was, at, I was at a gym on the Sunday and I just spoke to this person. It was almost quite a weird, <laughs> weird, weird situation. But I, th- I think um, going back to me, it's like, don't, don't. And, and yes, it comes back to confidence and, um, you know, what, where you get your confidence from in life. But I think the, the ability just to, to talk to anybody and leave no stone unturned. Um, and, 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 and when you're talking to somebody, you know, never, never kind of prejudge you know, anybody can have an amazing story, can meet an amazing life, doesn't matter what they wear or, or where, where, where you think they're from, you know, they, they can have the most amazing story. And, you know, you'll never know where one of those people might end up. And that, that's, a, that's a great thing for, for anybody growing up is to have this ability to just to talk to people. It, it might seem really simple and, and far-fetched, but I think just communication and, and talking to people opens up. You know, we've got a whole world of mental health, but on the other side of things, um, you know, talking to somebody, you find out so much, and by just talking to people, you you learn, and that's uh, that's the magic in everything. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to uh, ruin a wonderful podcast by talking about coronavirus. We managed to mention it once and get through the <laughs> chat without mentioning it too much. But I guess that is one thing that, uh, that worries me a little bit about coronavirus is I'm more scared to speak to people now because you don't want to, you know, them to feel like you're invading their space and infecting them and vice versa. So, so, so I hope it doesn't get lost because I think what you're talking about there is actually really important. And we give Americans a hard time, but that is definitely one of the strengths of Americans. They, you get in a yellow cab and they will talk to you. They will share everything with you and, and often yeah. be quite authentic about it. And, and you're yeah. quite right. I mean, I got in a taxi uh, last time I was in New York. The guy started telling me his whole life story and it was so amazing, you know, how he worked yeah. at Amazon and was very high up and all these things. Just so, so fascinating. Real, like you said, don't judge. I love, I love that point. And I think also if you can push through the cor- coronavirus fear and can you continue to speak to people if you do presently? And if you don't, don't, don't be fearful of people. Because I, I totally agree. Speaking is, is, with other people is so amazing. You learn so much. Um, I, I'm going to sum up what I've, what I've taken away today. And I think um, just, just a few things. Um, first of all, I want to make sure I say anyone who's going to visit the UK or, or, of course, is listening in the UK, 
try to go to uh, Jerry's in Soho. I'm, I'm going to, it's 15 minutes from where I live, so I'm, I'm going I'm to pop down and, um, and, and tell them how great they are based on what James <laughs> said and, and, and buy some of your products. I think um, I, I like this whole point you, you mentioned earlier about what we talked about, about saying no, and I want people to pick up on that because I think it's quite important. It's not about saying yes to everything. It is about being careful. It is also trying things, a bit like you were saying about the blueberries, you know, experimenting, asking questions, throwing it at the wall, but sometimes also um, saying no, which I think is an important lesson. I, I like the point you talked about as well, James, around, you know, having to, to almost go away for a while uh, to appreciate what you've got, perhaps partly, but also to learn stuff that you can bring back um, so I, I would say that when people are working for someone, if they if they if well, working for me, they, they leave me to go away, they learn something, maybe they can come back later, that's fine, or maybe they start their own thing, that's also fine. But that kind of letting people go and, and experience things and coming back is, is such a powerful point. And I think that's true for anyone out there, you know, any parents right now perhaps are trying to make their children work in the business, maybe let them go and they might come back with knowledge you didn't even know you needed. Um, and, I, and I love that whole, whole idea of, of, of you know, going out there and experimenting for, for young people in particular, going... I would say don't get a mortgage if you can help it too young. Go out and first experience the world. There's plenty of time to buy a house later and that type of thing, you know, being free yeah. um, to go and go and learn. I think um, I like the point about focusing on your area. So if you're going to work with family, you know, and, and make sure you've all got your own area. I think this is very important in partnerships. A lot of co-founders, people start businesses together. Ideally, you have two different skill sets or at least two different job roles if, if two different skill sets isn't possible. And I think purpose yeah in your business is so important and you know you've got James has got quite a lot of purposes within his business but I love this overarching feeling that it's about it's about looking after people the people you work with the bartenders that serve your drinks the independent businesses that I think right now it couldn't be more important to look after those independent businesses than it is right now and I think like you said as well James and I want listeners to really hold on to this that if you're thinking of starting a business now is the time it might seem crazy independent trader starting a business but I actually think there's a huge opportunity in that as James has highlighted and I want you guys to pick up on that now is the time to start a business and you can be an independent trader you can be a family business and not that you will beat the big boys because that sounds a bit aggressive but you'd certainly have something unique to offer if you're an independent trader and i see the shop that we talked about james and i talked about this offline so you guys maybe didn't pick up on it but we there's a shop at the end of my street that's independently owned for the last 15 years and the person that runs it absolutely loves it he loves running a small business and there's nothing wrong with that either so definitely um, not only want my listeners to think about starting their own business but supporting independence right now as james and his business is doing just really gets to me and and i totally agree so um, I, I like one, finally, I was, one final thing I'll say, um, probably no one knows what LA Galaxy is, even though um, David Beckham went there. But So thanks for, for giving them a bit of a brand plug there. No, no one will remember who they are, I think. I like drink less but better. I think that's a really good idea. I think we should have an offline conversation about Lucky Gin so that we can sell that and fund entrepreneurs to start businesses of their own. So, <laughs> but we could get drunk on our own idea right there, I think. I like the old, uh, whole social uh, right to do good and care about people. That's my biggest takeaway from your insights today. You know, I want people, to, I love the, the social right, the way you put it, the social right to do good and care about people. So um, thank you, James, for taking the time to come on the podcast show today and share your story with us and your insights and look forward to having you back. Thanks, Simon. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast show today. If you found what James had to say useful and insightful, please give us a comment below. Equally, please click through to his businesses down below and go and buy some of his products. 
He gives his time for free so that you can learn what business is all about. And I'm sure even a like on one of their company's social media pages will be well received and appreciated. Myself as the host of Good Luck Club, I want to say thank you for taking the time to tune in. I know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you take the time to listen to ours. We feel incredibly lucky. Thank you.